back to Nuggets Numbers. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Uh, this is part two of a discussion that I am having with Brandon Anderson at Wheaton Brando on Twitter. He's a great draft analyst. He knows a lot about the general NBA, and he's, he's taken a lot of time to focus on some of this Nuggets stuff with me. And we talked about the Anthony Davis trade in the first part of this discussion and at, because of how many ripples that has around the NBA that ran pretty long for us so Brandon what's going on man how are you doing I'm doing great man we uh we crowned the Lakers the champions in 2019-20 and uh we're now talking about the draft which means we won't have to mention the Lakers again until like 20 years from now <laughs> that's that's actually that's really funny they they may not control their draft pick for the rest of time so that's uh this is the fun discussion where we don't have to mention the lakers at all all we have to do is talk about the nuggets talk about the other nba teams at large and this is not a big media this is not a big uh media podcast where we only talk about la and new york and and the Warriors, all we, we, we actually cover the rest of the stuff on here too. So let's, uh, let's dive right into it, man. I want to talk about general NBA draft stuff and then we're going to get into some general Denver Nuggets thoughts and, uh, and what you think about some of the players. You ready to go? Let's do it. Awesome. So we're going to go, let's start with Zion. I think that that is probably the best place to start with this class. Um, uh, Zion is, one of the most unique prospects I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen somebody that's 285 pounds projected this high. Even like DeAndre Ayton wasn't that weight. Uh, guys like, uh, I don't know, Shaq. Uh, I, I don't think he was ever 285 at his, like when he was being drafted out of, I think, LSU. Uh Zion may be the heavy, and this is a weird, weird way to go. He may be the heaviest prospect that's projected at number one since guys that were way back in the day. Uh, what kind of a, what level of prospect do you think he is? And, uh, what do you kind of expect from him in his first season? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I'm cranking out the draft content right now. I think, I think in the last like two weeks, I've done something genuinely like sixty thousand words of draft coverage. Yes, please and- go check out Brandon. He's been he's been <laughs> cranking it out. He he bragged to me on on Twitter when we were preparing for this podcast that he just had to shoot off a, a quick sixty five hundred word draft piece on Medium. So <laughs> he's uh, he's cranking out the content. So please go check him out. I will link him in the description of this podcast. Yeah, shameless plug, thank you. <laughs> uh, but but it's interesting is uh, along sixty thousand words. I honestly don't think I spent more than like two hundred and fifty of them on Zion, just because in a weird way, on the big picture draft level, he's kind of not interesting to talk about. Just in that, it's like okay, Zion is clearly number one. Like literally, if I looked at an article and it even hinted in the smallest way that he might not be the number one pick, I would just close the article and be like, I guess I'm not reading that guy's opinions <laughs> because he's, he's just far and away number one, and he would be the number one to pick in, I don't know, like 80%, 90% of the drafts that there have been. Um, he's an all-time prospect. He had one of the greatest college seasons of all time. 
by like any of the advanced metrics available. Um, he, there's there's nothing like him, and you know he's he's the sort of star that is going to be a star on and off the court. I feel like Zion already passes the mom test. You know, like even the people that don't watch basketball know the name Zion. It's a great NBA. Name that's too, that's a way. great that's a great way to look at it too. If if your mom knows who Zion Williamson is, then he is a mega star, uh, and especially at this at this end, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. My mom probably doesn't know who he is, but that's a, that's another story. <laughs> my mom does, but only because she is so good at clicking on my articles and clapping and all of them, even if she doesn't really care that much about the NBA. So so supportive. Listen to this too, love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> happy Father's Day out there. Yeah, happy Father's Day, Dad. Uh, so let's, let's talk about some of the previous top draft picks. Um, last year you had DeAndre Ayton and I think Luka Doncic was the top prospect. I think that's pretty unanimous. And, and the only people that didn't think that were the, were the Phoenix Suns and the Sacramento Kings front offices from, from what I, from what I understand. So that's, uh, that's a, that's a mistake that they're going to have to live with. I think that Doncic is transcendent at this point. Uh, 2017, you had Markel Fultz and, and we'll call Jason Tatum the second best prospect. Uh, you had Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram in 2016. Towns in 2015, no real other standout there. Joel Embiid and I'm sorry, Andrew Wiggins, uh, in 2014. Uh, I didn't know we were allowed to cuss on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that, I knew that would get to you. Uh, Again, Brandon's a big Minnesota Timberwolves fan, and he's had to live through the Max Andrew Wiggins period. So that's Bro, tough. We barely even started it. Ugh. <laughs> We're going to be paying off Andrew Wiggins before the Lakers draft again. Oh, wow. That's a uh, – ooh. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk about these prospects. Yeah. If, if you had to rank in, in among those kind of top-tier prospects, where do you think Zion would slot in? Yeah, I mean, among all the names you just said, Zion is a pretty easily the number one prospect to wow. me. Um, I, I think we're looking back at, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, like, I feel like Anthony Davis would, would be in the mix. Um, it, it's hard now because we know what these guys did, and it's hard to remember what we thought coming out. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anyone compared to LeBron in this era, I don't know if I can quite put Zion there, but I feel like, other than that, you know, people like to throw Durant into this mix. That's ludicrous. Like, a lot of people thought Odin was the better prospect that year. Yeah, which is so, not, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and maybe that means Odin goes in the mix, too. People thought he was going to be incredible, and he maybe would have been if he had feet and legs that were the same size as each other. Um, but <laughs> Zion, I think, you know, <laughs> this century alone... I feel like if you just start it all over and put them all in at their age of the draft, I feel like Zion is a top five pick and, you know, probably closer to, to one than he is to five. He's, he's an all-timer, it seems like. That's crazy. Uh, and, and crazy in a good way, of course. Uh, do you think that he can be a top dog on a championship team? I think so. And it's weird because... It doesn't seem like he's ever going to necessarily be that like 25 or 30 points a game scorer. The, you know, the guy that, okay, the clock is ticking down and it's, you know, tied in game seven and Zion's got the ball at the top of the key trying to do something with it. Like he can, 
we saw that a little bit yeah. in March Madness, and but I think that's if you think that's what you're getting with Zion, I think you're you're misplacing his value. But we we haven't seen what a championship team would look like with the Zion on it. But that's because we haven't seen any teams with the Zion on them, and he's just so good at everything. Like I think he's the best offensive and the best defensive prospect in the draft, probably. Um, he creates so many defensive events, steals and blocks. And when he gets them, it's like the freight train has been released going the other direction. And it's going to be between those and the, and the rebounds. He's such a good rebounder and he gets up and rebounds at the peak. And like anytime that he gets a rebound, either it means that he got the defensive rebound and now the ball is in the hands of this 300 pound linebacker. Who's going to just like, bounce guys off of him as he's going in transition or it means he got an offensive rebound and now the ball is in that dude's hands like four feet from the hoop and it's he's gonna score like he has this incredible touch it's it's like if you took like big baby davis from the celtics and then made him good at all the things that he ever dreamed that he could be like davis was you know he was quick on his feet and he had this like nice little touch near the basket uh he was a good player but it's like if you took took that guy and then made him good at pretty much every skill possible except for shooting, we'll get back to that, uh, and, and then also turn him into literally the best athlete in the NBA, which I think Zion will be from day one when he steps on the court. Yeah, pound for pound for pound and being able to lift as high as he does at, at the weight that he is, I'd, I'd say that that's probably accurate. Um, I think a pretty good comparison for him at this point is Blake Griffin plus uh, as in, he has all the skills that Blake Griffin has. He has the the athleticism and maybe even a little bit more athleticism than Blake Griffin had. But he also has more individual skills going into it. He's a better defender. Uh, he can handle the ball a little bit better at the jump. Uh, but Blake Griffin was a great handler of the basketball uh, early in his career as well. And I think there are a lot of good comparisons there. He's been compared to Charles Barkley before. Uh like Big Baby Davis, yeah. as you said, on on like like every slider at one hundred on two K. Yeah. Uh, so and, and I think people are going to hear the Blake Griffin thing and, and be like, oh, okay. But Blake Griffin was awesome, and uh, Blake Griffin is awesome. Like he still is a great yeah, player. Still but great. Back when he first came out, like Griffin is going to be high on that list of all the best prospects from the century. He was so good, and his athleticism was similarly just off the charts, literally like jumping over the charts. And, you know, I feel like Griffin was awesome, but also kind of pigeonholed into this more traditional power forward position. And only now the last couple of years, we see what it looks like when he gets to be kind of the point forward and do more with the ball. And he's also added a shot late in his career. And I kind of wonder what if he had gone on to the team that would have developed that part of him early on rather than having him just be this kind of classic Sean Kemp sort of power forward, uh, which was great also. You know, Sean Kemp is awesome, and Blake was awesome at that. Um, but I, I truly hope that the Pelicans, if they decide to take Zion at number one, <laughs> um, but I, I hope that they don't put him as this traditional power forward. Nothing about Zion is traditional. They, they need I, yeah. to let him roam as kind of a you know a free safety on defense 
and and be that kind of dream on help defender where they can um and just just wreck teams making plays and on offense you know he, he's not going to be a traditional role he's going to need to have the ball in his hands sometimes he can get it in the post but he can get it out away from the ball uh, i'd like to see him set some screens i think in time i could see him come around the screen coming downhill off the pick and roll which is absolutely terrifying to think about oh yeah um, but j- just i i feel like his one of his many elite skills is the versatile skill set that he brings and you know that's the sort of skill like with Blake and with Charles Barkley it was their their rounded skill set that that came into play and in 2019 i think that we've learned better how to use all of those skills rather than saying oh you're a big man. We're going to put you with your back to the basket and dump the ball in and you'll figure out how to make all of your skills, make this work. Like now it's a league where we look at the player and then build a team around it. Like Giannis and the Bucks did this year. Yep. And then it's like, Holy cow, that's what that player can be. And I think that's what Zion is. It's, it's a player that we don't know where we're going to figure it out as we go. And, and just to be able to, to build around so much athleticism and so much talent. And I think people uh, underrate too. He has just like this unbelievable feel for the game. Uh, His instincts mean that he is like a half step ahead on most of his plays, especially defensively. Uh, He's, he's always, you know, kind of anticipating more than reacting. And with a lot of players as you know, as I'm doing, uh, you know, my draft reviews and looking at different players, I pay a lot of attention to, you know, basketball IQ and a feel for the game. And a lot of times it's like this, the scrappy white shooting guard who is not really a great athlete, but he has a great feel for the game. And that extra half step that he has is just enough to, you know, make up for the athleticism and make him a pretty good defender. Then you take Zion and give him that half step advantage and the athleticism. Right. Like it, it's just what makes him just out of this world. At his best, I think you're right. I think he could be the best player in the NBA. There's a lot of great candidates for that over the next several years. I think Giannis will be in that category for sure. I think Jokic, Doncic, you've got Towns and Simmons and Tatum and Davis and lots of young guys that are going to potentially be up there at that point. Uh, Zion is up there with them. There, I don't think there's any, any thought that he couldn't be in that category. And I, I know that there are haters out there that don't think that he can reach that level. But as we saw with Giannis, even though somebody has a weakness and, and Giannis is with shooting, I think Zion's is shooting. Uh, even if somebody has a weakness, you can build a competent defense and system around them to mask their weakness and highlight their strength. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he does over the course of his first few years in his career. Heading into New Orleans, it's kind of an awkward fit. We talked about that in part one. Uh, Lonzo Ball isn't a great shooter. Brandon Ingram isn't a great shooter. It's not Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon and Brooke Lopez out there. So it's it's going to be hard to draw the Giannis comparisons immediately. But they have time. They've got a lot of opportunity to build that team. Again, he's also young. He's like 19 years old, and he's going to be under contract there for at least seven years. So going to be really interesting to see what they do there. 
Let's move a little bit forward then. I want to talk about the rest of the top five prospects that you have. Just give me your list of top five prospects if you can. Sure. So Zion, number one, far and away, he's the guy. And then my next tier of players uh, is is a 2-3-4. So my number two guy is Brandon Clark out of Gonzaga. Wow. Uh, he's he's uh, probably not going to go in the top ten by what it looks like. But he's, he's my guy. We'll, we'll come back to him and keep going through the list. Uh, number three, I've got John Morant, uh, the Murray State point guard, uh, who everyone assumes very likely is going to be go number two to the Grizzlies. Fourth is Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech. Everyone saw a lot of him during March Madness. And then, like I said, I've got a bit of a teardrop off after that. Uh, but then right now, my number five, I, I will be writing tomorrow between these two and kind of making a final decision. But I think I'm 5A Grant Williams from Tennessee and then 5B DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. So wow. I'll be one of those two at number five for me. That's really interesting. Um, and I think that that's definitely more of an NBA Twitter take as opposed to a general kind of draft scouting take, which I think is really valuable because I think draft Twitter has a lot of a lot of value to offer in terms of like which guys are actually going to be the most valuable versus which guys look the most valuable at the beginning. Uh, I I have a different set of top five. And I think the reason why I do is because I value the ability to be a playmaker with the ball in your hands a lot. And I don't see DeAndre Hunter and Brandon Clark and Grant Williams. And actually Grant Williams might be able to do it, but like, I don't see uh I don't see those guys as the ability to be a primary ball handler, which I think you can eventually build an offense around. So right now I have Zion as number one. He's far and away number one. Number two, I have Jarrett Culver. I think he's gonna be really good. He kind of reminds me of a a DeMar DeRozan type that can actually shoot and is a better decision maker at the beginning. I think the Texas Tech um, they had a lot of opportunities to put him at, as the playmaking wing, and I think that he could be even more optimized at the NBA level. Uh, John Morant at three, R.J. Barrett at four, and Darius Garland at five. You didn't mention R.J. Barrett or Darius Garland. How come you think those guys aren't at that level? Yeah, so I, I also value the ball handling and the ability to be a, a primary handler um, just in that you just get to touch the ball a lot more and you, you, it's a much easier way to have a big impact that way. Um, I think that with my overall rankings, two of the things that I consistently find myself valuing highest are defense, particularly team defense, and then just basketball IQ and feel for the game. Um, those to me are two things that just really raise the floor value of a player and not in the floor way where we're like, oh, if this guy is kind of a bust as a player, what's his floor? I think this is more like, what value does someone bring a team? And we watch the playoffs every year, April, May, June, and we're always like, okay, what's a 16-game player? Who are the guys that are staying on the court in the playoffs? And who are the guys that can slot into you know these rotations and play some minutes right now? And it's just a different game in the playoffs in the regular season. And it starts with guys who don't take much off the table, who don't have really obvious exploitable weaknesses. And that's what I mean by floor is just guys that, that have, you know, a lot of 
they're at least average in everything, um, and then have other strengths on top of it. And where, for me, Darius Garland, I think, is going to be a very different sort of player than that. You know, if if he hits, then I think he's very clearly a good player because he, is, he fits the modern NBA well in kind of the Kemba Walker, Damian Lillard, Jamal Murray sort of, you know, scoring point guard with a great shot. We know what that player looks like. We've seen it. It's valuable even in the playoffs, even without the defense or the other things. Um, it's all about with him, is the handle good enough and is the shot good enough? And if it is, he can be great and could be, you know, maybe the number two player in the draft. If it's not, there's not really much other value for him. Like, it's all on those couple skills. And I, for me, just the lack of overall games and footage that we had from this year with Garland with the injury that he had and you know, played only like four games essentially um, and that's where most of my scouting is from I don't do a lot of like high school and EYBL sure. um, there, there just wasn't enough there to feel confident with Garland so I have him in a next tier down as you know very clearly uh, if it's right I, I see the value there RJ Barrett is a totally different animal for me. Uh, my, my piece that I just put, put out yesterday uh, got picked up on, on Bleach Report and Apple News, and it's, it's like everyone is passing around. It's like the hit piece on RJ Barrett. Um, it's why I'm out on RJ Barrett as an elite NBA prospect. And as I watched him all year, and of course watch just about every game because you're watching for Zion and RJ and Reddish and everyone, um, I just, all year, I try to talk myself into him, and the talent is obvious. Like, by talent alone, my top five is not ranked on talent alone. And I think that's kind of what you were alluding to with, like, an NBA Twitter look at the draft versus just, like, a draft talent version. And as I look at these players, I'm trying to think, okay, not necessarily who is their comp in the NBA, but... If this player is successful with the skills that they have and the weaknesses they have, what's that look like in the NBA? What does that team look like? And what? how am I building around that sort of player? And with R.J. Barrett, for me, you know, the, the clear strength, he's awesome driving the ball. When you put the ball in his hands, he's got all the moves. He, he has the Euro step. He can get to the rim. He's not a great finisher at the rim. He The, the shot is at best questionable um and i especially really question his basketball iq and his decision making it got better as the season went on and uh i think the real upside with him that would make him a star potentially is his passing and his creation that was getting a lot better but i really worry about his decision making um Along with that, I really worry about his defense. I think he's going to be a clear negative on defense because uh, team defense especially, he's, he's not focused. He loses his guy. He somehow, at the worst times, doesn't put in the right effort for the box out or the rebound or the rotation. You know, even in like the biggest moments of the big games against Carolina and March Madness. And it's like, if you're not going to show up in those moments, why are you going to play defense you know, on a January night, you know, Tuesday in Denver, like you're, you're not going to try there. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah, no, so I, 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 I just, with, with Barrett, for me, the more I thought about it, I, I kept him like number three, number four, five on my board, this whole process. 
Uh, just of like, ah, he's just too talented, and the NBA is a star league. At some point, you had to take a swing, and I, I just don't feel that way with him. I I feel like the star, you know, the the best version of RJ Barrett is going to be this kind of Demar Derozan type player, or you know, some of the comps I put in my article uh, were, were players like Vince Carter or Jerry Stackhouse or Antoine Jameson. A little bit different on him, but. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, late career Kobe, and if those of us that have watched the NBA over the last couple of decades, that sounds like, okay, bro, if you just listed off all those names, you clearly think this guy's a good player. Those were all-stars, but they're all-stars in like a different era, in an era where we thought all-stars were supposed to be the guys that scored 20 points a game, and we kind of didn't care about the rest of the stuff. Well, it turns out the rest of the stuff matters, and it matters that you can shoot and it matters that you can space the offense and it matters that you play defense. And a lot of those guys I listed off were just kind of this like, Hey, Michael Jordan was awesome at hitting pull-ups and now Kobe does that too. And now that's what shooting guards should be. Right. And I just don't see a lot of successful teams in 2019 with that shooting guard. And, you know, as if you say, okay, let's take the best version of RJ and build a good team around it. What do you need to build a team? It's like, well, I, I need smart guys around him to make up for the mental mistakes. And I need lots of shooting to really space the court. And I need a lot of defense to really make up for it. And it's like, well, yeah, that's because those are the things that make you a really good team, not this kind of empty scoring thing. And, yeah, I, I just couldn't get there. And I ended up with him like seventh or eighth on my board. At that point, what's it really matter? Like, he's obviously not going to fall that low, so whatever number doesn't matter. But that's that's why I'm out on RJ Barrett. I hear you on that. It's a, it's an interesting dichotomy, I think, whether you're you're at the top five of the draft and, and you could either select this top talent and hope it pans out, hope uh, hope what you're kind of seeing as, as general indicators that he might not be great, uh, hope that that's kind of fake news and you're instead looking for uh the best version of RJ Barrett but I get it I really do um yeah I I had him top at, at the top there just because I really value the playmaking I think that it's really important I think that you can find another Brandon Clark or Grant Williams or guys like that in subsequent drafts and you can find them really low and and but you're not going to be able to find a guy with the talent that a guy like RJ Barrett has unless they get injured, kind of like a Michael Porter Jr. type. So it's uh, you take the swing when you get there, and especially if you're a team that's that just is awful, like a Cleveland or a New York. New York doesn't look like they, they may not get the players that they want to, so it, maybe the best call for them is to take R.J. Barrett and hope that he hits his ceiling. Uh, but it's interesting. I I happen to agree with you for the most part that if I were a team drafting – at that level, I would really be looking for a guy that's that his expected outcome is high rather than what his ceiling is. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But if if I was picking in the top five of this draft, those were the top five guys I would select. Uh, let's move a little bit towards Denver here. Uh, you've written a lot about about 
big men, about wings, about forwards, and especially the lower tier of this class. I think that a lot of people have classified it as a three-person draft, and a lot of people have said that it's pretty weak overall. Is that kind of your assessment uh, of this draft class? Yeah, so I, I don't agree that it's a three-person draft because the third person is R.J. Barrett. Yes, 100%. So, <laughs> I get so it. We don't need to go back into that. Um, to me, I'm intrigued by the draft class. because It's a one-person draft because it's Zion and everyone else. And, and what the draft is really missing is that, like, the clear, like, number two to number five guys. Like, I think Jared Culver is a great example. Everyone really likes Jared Culver. I really like Jared Culver. And he's he's not like the number two or three or four draft pick though. Like if if this were a traditional draft and there were you know Jason Tatum's and Lonzo Balls to to take the second or third pick, and suddenly now you pick a couple other guys and Garland goes in there and Jared Culver goes number eight to the Atlanta Hawks, and I would be writing the next day like wow what a great pick you know. He's, he's definitely going to be this great role player. There's upside for more. He could potentially handle. They may have to trade um, up for him. They Actually, I think it's pretty likely that they have right. to trade up for him. Well, that's exactly it. it is, is we're, we're missing, you know, I, I listed off my second tier. The reality is I think we're kind of missing the second tier. It's really this empty second tier. Yeah. And then the, the mix after that. And because of that, the top of the draft just feels really wonky because everyone gets pushed up a little bit too far. And I notice that as I keep ranking guys, if I don't put any numbers by them and just look at the list, I'm like, yeah, I like this guy. Yeah. I like Brandon Clark. Oh yeah. PJ Washington and Chumo Kiki. I like those guys. This is where they belong on the list. And then I number it and Washington and Kiki are like number nine and number 11. And I'm like, Whoa, what? These are like solidly lottery picks in my rankings. It should not be at that level, but it's it's because we're missing that like five guys that are supposed to be in the draft near the top, and you know they were supposed to be like Kevin Porter Jr. was supposed to be one of those guys, and uh, Romeo Langford was supposed to be one of those guys, and Bull Bull if he stayed healthy was supposed to be one of them, and it, it just the draft class kind of weirdly shook out to where the guys that were supposed to populate the top just aren't really there. What I like about the class, though, is that though it's definitely really weak on handlers and uh, really outside of Morant, I'm just not super excited about any of the point guards in this draft. What yeah. it does have is a ton of wings, and that excites me because in the NBA in 2019, wings are where it's at. Like every team, you know, you want the star point guard, you love to have a great big man, but you can find all sorts of backup point guards and big men on waivers and like hanging out, just waiting for you to sign them and play minutes suddenly in the playoffs. You can't do that with wings. Every team needs more wing players and more and more, you know, wings are playing the two, the three and the four. And in this draft, there aren't necessarily superstar wings there. There could be a lot of wings take a while to develop and show their talent. There's just a lot of them, and uh, I would be excited if I were a team, you know, like Philly or Brooklyn has like a handful of picks just kind of in the middle of the draft. I'd be excited about that if I were a fan of those teams because this is a great draft to just have a bunch of chances and, and be able to take like three or four of those wing-type players, and I just think there's going to be 
not necessarily a lot of stars in this draft, but I think there's a lot of NBA players. I think there's a lot of guys who can come into a rotation and make a difference. I hear that. It's one of the reasons why I think Denver really should be interested in exploring trading into this draft, just because there are a lot of guys that, like you said, they can they can fill a role. They can they can make sure that uh like the six, seven, and six, eight guys are always going to be very valuable, and especially for a team like Denver that doesn't really have many of those guys. You've got Denver has Tory Craig, who's six six, and Will Barton, who's six six, but probably like one ninety soaking wet. Uh, neither of those guys are great defenders of tall, small forwards, and and when you've got guys like LeBron James and Paul George and Kevin Durant that are dominating the NBA, you kind of need a guy who's six eight, six nine, six ten. Uh, that can that can match up with those players, and I feel like there are a fair amount of guys in this class that that represent that body type at least mm-hmm. that could that could potentially fit into that role. So I'm going to start you off with your favorite prospect, Brandon Clark. You have him ranked number two. I think I would have him ranked number five or number six in this class. I know I said Darius Garland, but I don't really believe that. I think I'd rather have Brandon Clark. Uh. Doesn't need the ball in his hands to impact the game. He's a versatile defender, great shot blocker. A lot has been made of his six foot eight wingspan. Uh, what do you think of that? And are you concerned with it at all? Yeah, so I was one of the people making a lot of the wingspan the day that it came out of the combine because I was like crestfallen as Brandon Clark's number one fan all year and just been talking him up and so excited by his play. And, you know, it's nobody who watched him all year thought he was going to have, like, oh, goodness, he's like has this eight-foot wingspan. Like, nobody <laughs> thought that. We all, we all knew that he was a little bit undersized, but I think he was even a little bit lower than people expected. And it's dis- disappointing, for sure, because you look around the NBA trying to, to look for who are the big men that are the size that Brandon Clark is, and there just aren't any. There, there, there are very few of them, and that's why you get people – you know, making comparisons like, oh, Brandon Clark is just Jordan Bell again. Well, he's not Jordan Bell. He just happens to be the same size-ish as Jordan Bell. Um, but we have a hard time in the draft where, similar reason to Zion, we look at the NBA and we're like, ah, there's nobody like that in the NBA. So I don't know how good he can be or what role can he be. Um, and I think with Clark... The second day of the combine was just as important. The the wingspan stuff came out and the size, it wasn't great. And then the next day, he did all the athletic testing and just blew everything out of the water. Right. Uh, his shuttle run, his agility, his vertical. And so if you're going to do the thing where you're like, okay, there's nobody, there's no big men in the NBA that is only this tall and only this big on wingspan. Sure, I'll give it to you. There's also no big men in the NBA that have this unbelievable combination of speed and quickness and and hops and second hops and um, you know that's that's what you you make up for the wingspan with and not entirely because he still very clearly is not gonna be able to play like full time center because he's just not big he's not gonna be able to stand in the post and guard like the more traditional centers. Um, but I think that that's really not the role that you want him in anyways. I, I think what, why you and I both like Brandon Clark so much in particular is because you're Nuggets and I'm Wolves 
And the role that we want Brandon Clark to play is at the four next to that kind of unicorn big man like Jokic or like Carl Anthony Towns. And, and you want Clark playing the four doing all the other stuff that those guys don't do well. And that those are all the things that he is amazing at. So you put them together and, you know, the Wolves pick number 11. Clark is the top pick on my board unless Zion falls there. <laughs> and <laughs> Good luck. It's, it's the same reason as why I think that he would be an awesome fit next to Jokic because on offense, you want Clark playing, playing kind of near the hoop. You want him either being able to – he's great offensive rebounding. Uh, you, you can use him as a bit of a rim runner because of the athleticism. But he needs to be, you know, he's not a great shooter yet. I think the shot could come in time, but that's not a skill right now that's going to keep him on the court by any stretch. So in Denver and Minnesota, you've got these centers who are spacing the the floor out, and they're not going to pack the paint. So that gives him room to be valuable there. On defense, you get Jokic or Towns being able to absorb the contact of the big men. You know, they they can guard in the post. They're not necessarily a great defender, but in the post, they're going to be fine. And then you let Clark play kind of the the dream on off-ball defense role where, you know, most other teams' power forward isn't this great option that they're going to super often. And so Clark gets to guard that guy and then help off. And now suddenly he's your weak side blocker. And I think he could be, like, generationally good at that in the NBA his instincts are just out of this world, and his first step is so good. His his leap ability is so good, and uh, he's really good just even at kind of placing his hands and getting into position to where the block will be good. Um, and just his ability to disrupt on defense, both on the ball and especially team defense, and what it would add to a team like Denver, to a team like Minnesota, and the ability to, to balance out um, would just be so valuable. As I looked back, I'm working on a big project for later this summer where I'm ranking the top 50 NBA players all time at each position, which, spoiler wow. alert, 50 is a lot of people to yes, rank yes, at it is. As somebody who's forward. had to write that article before, it's a, it is <laughs> a lot of people, so I get it's it. It's a lot of people. And I think that doing that has colored a little bit my opinion of Brandon Clark in a positive way in that as I was looking at the power forwards, a lot of times really what makes someone a power forward, and it's kind of an outdated term anyway, but what makes someone play the four is that they're not quite big enough to protect the rim full-time and be a full-time center, and they're not quite quick enough to be a small forward or be out of the perimeter. And so because they're not either of those things – we kind of stick them in the middle at the four. Yeah. Um, and as I'm ranking the top fours, you know, th- there are the greats. There's Barkley and Garnett, and I'm not going to list more. I'm going to forget people. But we know who the greats are. But there's only like five or six really, really great guys like that. After that, some of the guys I end up having, like in my top 15 all time, are Draymond Green and, and Dennis Rodman and Horace Grant. And they're guys that you're like, wait, what? Those are some of the all-time great fours, and it's because those guys played next to these great centers, and they were the all-time 
role player complimentary sort of guys and just brought so much out in them. Draymond obviously didn't play next to a center. He is the center at times. Times have changed a little bit. But that's the NBA today. It's uh, what, what he does really well. Brandon Clark is just, he switches on the perimeter as well as anybody I've seen. He can guard out to 30 feet he has the agility like you said to to stay with those guys all the way down the court he changes so much of what a team like minnesota or denver could do and i think that that's very clear uh in his evaluation that if you're a team that needs a scorer at the power forward position then he's probably not for you but if you're a team that kind of already has your your main guys set up then he like can you ask for a better compliment like he's he's just right. one of those guys that's going to be a great fourth or fifth fifth option on offense and change the game defensively well and i would argue that if you're a team that needs scoring at the four that you're a team that needs a different plan because that's really not yeah like, fair enough like we don't have a lot of successful teams in that sort of mold. And the, the, the fours in this draft that are scoring first and lack all the Brandon Clark sort of things, they're the guys I'm hoping the Timberwolves avoid at number 11. Let's talk about some other guys real quick. Um, I've got a list of five guys here, just, just kind of some of the various names that I've picked up that I want to hear a little bit more about from you. Uh, give me your one-minute pitch on Grant Williams. I know that you had him uh, debatably in the top five. Uh, what does he do that makes him a top five prospect? So to me, Grant Williams is a guy, you know, as I watch the games, I, I just kind of taken notes and writing down what am I seeing, what do I like, what do I not like. And with Grant Williams, game after game, I just kept writing something to the effect of, I just want this dude on my team. Like, there, there's something about it when you watch him and you're like, this guy is is a warrior and he brings all the effort and he's so smart and has such a great feel for the game. And he's he's a smart passer and um, he's, he's a really good defender, not in a traditional way, but he's a, he's a super smart team defender and he's stout and can kind of uh, absorb contact and play a few different roles defensively that way. Um, and uh, maybe guard a few positions. And I think that if, if you put, you know, it, it feels lazy to put Grant Williams as a Draymond Green comparison because nobody is Draymond Green, even though everyone's going to try to find someone like that. But I think not saying he's the same as Draymond, but putting him in a similar role. Like I've seen a lot of people talk about uh, Grant Williams to, to Portland which I think is pick 25, and Grant's probably not going to go as high as I have him rated or anywhere in the lottery. Um, But putting him on a team like that and letting him set a screen on these elite ball handlers, so letting CJ or Dame come around a screen and then roll downhill, and you you, you get the Steph screen, and suddenly he gets double teamed, and he dumps it off to Draymond, and you got that four on three, that, that unstoppable play that nobody has figured out what to do. If you give Grant Williams a chance like that, I think he's going to pick teams apart because he's, he's so smart and he's such a good player. And I just feel like when the games matter next April and May, Grant Williams is a guy that I will let go to battle for me. Did you read the Grant Williams profile by Sam Vecini on, on The Athletic? I did, yeah. It, 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 it encapsulated a lot of things that I really like about him. And uh, Grant... Uh, Sam and Cole Zwicker from the Sepian have yeah. had a, on their podcast. I've gone back and forth all year. 
And I think Cole, I think, wins the argument because they've spent a lot of time debating um, Grant Williams versus Rui Hachimura. And uh, Sam was a lot more on Hachimura early on in the year. He did a, a profile on him, I think, so that helped maybe color his perspective a bit. But I think just as as the process is worn on and, and they think more, you know, we, we talk about, like, well, what's a talented player in the draft? And we think of talent as scoring ability, and we think of talent as athleticism. But defense is a talent also, and, and smartness and making the right plays is a talent. We don't we think we we group all that together as like intangibles, and I think as you watch the NBA <laughs> yeah, playoffs and, and think about what makes the players like PJ Tucker is a great playoff player, and he's a 16 game guy, and I want him battling on my team. And it's why, like, what are his talents? His talents aren't shooting and scoring and all the things that we call talents. Um, and it makes me just kind of feel like maybe we need to think about what talent means a little differently. And that, that's kind of my corner in Grant Williams. I hear that. I, I would also throw up Paul Millsap as a really good comparison for him. Just yeah, I can as... see that. And Millsap is a, similarly a player that does a lot of those kind of underrated, intangible sorts of things. And that's like, well... After a while, when your team wins 50 games every year and you're on it, I think it's time that we correlate those two things. Agreed. Um, what about Chuma Okiki? You, you talked about him. I, I've kind of compared him to if he can manage to hit his threes a little bit well, maybe a Robert Covington type. Yeah, I think he's got a pretty similar body type to Covington. Uh, I, I'm a really big Okiki fan. Uh, the guys at Flagrant 2 on Twitter uh, kind of got me thinking about him. Um, but he is he's a great, great team defender. When you watch him with Auburn, especially in the tournament before the unfortunate injury, he's he's just always seems to be in the right place on defense. Like whenever you're watching him, he just has this unbelievable knack for being in the right spot. Whether that means the right spot is because he is like tipping the ball or getting a steal or maybe it means that he rotated just the right amount and kind of cut off a play that was developing he just has this really special ability to to add to the team defense um and to to rotate and um i think what he does on defense especially makes everyone else on defense a little bit better Uh, offensively it's a little less exciting I think that he's he's going to fit a role on offense. Um, the the shot is what matters there. There there's so many NBA or so many prospects where it's like, well, if he can shoot, and uh, you know he's another one where he's going to have to be able to shoot because I think that's his role. Is he's going to be you know the guy in the modern NBA that is standing in the corner hitting the open three when it comes to him. And beyond that, I think he's just going to move the ball along. And I think he's you know smart enough to to make the right pass and the read and. He can do a few things. He can, you know, if he gets some space, he can dribble and get to the basket. And uh, I don't think he's going to have a ton of offensive upside, but I can see him being something like my like fourth option on offense, but my second or third defender. And, uh, you know, I don't think that there's a star there, but I think that he is going to be just like a really valuable team player. And a lot of my draft opinions are based on get the star if you can and otherwise grab these valuable team pieces and keep building positive pieces and eventually you know there aren't a lot of stars there's only one in this draft i think so i would rather you know for the most part 
I'd rather build a lot of positive pieces and make my team ready for a star than to kind of keep gambling on guys and missing on them. And I think Okiki is just going to step in and, and play really well for some team once he's healthy. I hear that. That that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think everybody it, at that's listening to this podcast that are interested in the Denver Nuggets in general would agree that, hey, a Robert Covington type would be real great right now because the Nuggets needed somebody to stop Rodney Hood and they didn't really have that guy on the roster. So that's a, that's a really big thing. I think if, if Okiki's available in the second round, would not be surprised if they make a play to trade up in the draft for him or trade into the draft. Excuse me. They don't have a pick, but (laughs) trade into the draft. If it's, if they have to buy the pick, if they have to maybe send a future pick or maybe it's a player that's on the current roster, I think that he'd be a great fit. And they also have a lot of experience in letting guys rest and recover and recuperate off of their injuries before, uh, before trying to make them play again. So another, as as a lottery pick in my rankings and i don't expect him to go anywhere near that high i think like you said he's probably gonna end up being a second round pick uh but i'm my rankings are just how well do i like the player i'm not trying to to project where they're gonna get taken and from that perspective really that only adds to the value of of guys like clark and and grant williams and okiki where Clark might be a number two player in the draft, but actually go 11th or 15th or 20th. Yep. Uh, with Okiki, I think he could end up being one of the best plays in the draft if he suddenly is available at pick 40 or something. And, you know, it, it, if my rankings are right, which who knows, but if he's a lottery talent in a lottery edition, but he's coming as, you know, 40th or 50th pick, you, you can buy that pick. The Bulls are selling for $3.5 million. <laughs> Yeah. So you can just jump in, pay a few million dollars, and let Okiki heal for a year. I'm not thrown off by a knee injury. We know how to recuperate those. He'll be fine. And, uh, you know, rookies don't really play a whole lot anyway, or they don't, you know, on a good team, they're not going to contribute a ton positively. So that's fine. We, we've seen a lot of rookies take the year and, and heal and get better. And, you know, it'd be a great fit for Denver because he can kind of, you know, take Michael Porter's spot on the IR and, and do some learning and watching and and then let Porter jump in as the rookie this year. The Atlanta Hawks have six draft picks right now, including two top ten picks. If the Nuggets don't trade for one of those picks and buy one of them off of the Atlanta Hawks, that's literally a match made in heaven just because the Hawks probably need a little bit of extra money in order to kind of fund and, and get up to the salary floor and things like that and then bring in a little bit more extra revenue for a rebuilding team. So I think that that makes a lot of sense uh, on both counts. Uh, I another, agree. I definitely think the Hawks will will be making some trades up or down or out for some, yeah. some way. <laughs> Give me the quick word on Matisse Tybal, Eric Paschal, and Darius Basley. Yeah. So Matisse Tybal has been one of my favorites. Uh, I kind of stumbled onto him um, watching, I don't know, some, some Pac-10 team. I didn't watch a lot of Pac-10 ball this year. There's not a lot of talent out <laughs> west. Uh, but Tybal is just uh, uh, just an awesome defender. He, like, just just... If you're listening to this podcast, just pull up Matisse Tybel's stats and look at his steals and his blocks. Like I think he's averaging like over five combined a game. It's, or it's some just unbelievable. You're right. It, it's it's like historically good steals and block numbers. And 
you know, he's he's playing in the zone for Washington. Washington's coach is a, is a former Syracuse guy, so I think the 2-3 zone and all that comes with it. And NBA teams aren't going to play that. He's not going to be able to play, you know, free roaming in the middle of the defense and all that. But Well, hey, the we Raptors have, and the Warriors both did it in the NBA Finals, so you never right, know. Well, that's what I was going to say. We, we, have, we have lots of teams now that let – let guys kind of, well, you know, they, they played a little bit of that sort of zone, but we have defenders that know how to, to come off of the guy that they're staying on and, and be a help defender. And I, I think Tybal has huge defensive potential. Um, again, I think that we underrate the value of defense. And so we look at him and we're like, okay, he is not good on offense. And he's not. <laughs> he His three-pointer was really rough this year, better overall for his career. Um, he's going to have to hit a shot, otherwise he just can't stay on the court because his the rest of his offense is not good. His passing and dribbling and all that is not great, and he's older, so it's probably not going to get a ton better. But all I need him to do is hit a corner three and then stay on the court so that we can use his defensive value. And uh, I think you can just be really, really disruptive on that end. So Nuggets fans might be thinking, hey, does, that, that player kind of sounds like Tory Craig, who's already on the roster, who's already locked up for a, a small amount on a contract and will probably be pretty cheap going forward. What would you say to those people? Uh, I would say that I think that that's fair. I think Tory Craig is great, and you should keep him and start him next year. Yeah. And that you should bring in Tybal to split the minutes with him and have two of that kind of player. Um, I think Tybal is way better defensively at least as a, an event creator um you know creating like like most of his points i think he only gets something like 12-ish points a game they mostly come on his own creation off of a steel block and then a you know transition to the other end and that's that's the value of those sorts of plays i don't think craig is creating those sorts of plays quite as often um but yeah i mean i, I think it's a fair point but I think that, great, like every team can have Tory Craig on it, and you could have a couple of them, and I think it's always valuable to have that sort of a guy that can just do a lot of things. Agreed. Uh, as I said, Eric Paschal, uh, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but uh, power yeah. forward out of, out of Villanova, he's... Uh, he was on the Villanova title team a couple of years ago, but kind of as a third or fourth option on that team. Looked like his numbers kind of went down as the first option on this team. Yeah, so uh, I think it's Pascal is how I've heard it. So that's Pascal, what I'm okay. Go with here. There you go. That's uh, fine. And, yeah, he's a guy, I keep seeing him as a first-round pick, usually somewhere in like the 20 to 30 range. He's a guy that I really have not been super high on myself. He's a little bit older. You know, he'll be 23 by the time that the season starts, uh, which has been true of some of the other guys we talked about, too. So just that alone is not a problem. But he, like you said, is probably a four, but he's only six, seven. Um, he's, he is the sort of guy, he just has kind of a strange body shape. I think he's like six, seven and over 250 pounds. And so he's he plays to me kind of like um, I'm trying to think. It, it, I don't know if you remember Khalid El Amin. Like back in the the UConn days, he was this kind of chubby point guard. I don't. You're, yeah, uh, that that does make sense though. Yeah. So I, I feel like Pascal plays like this kind of 
weirdly shaped and weirdly sized shooting guard, but he plays at the four. And he is not a great rebounder. Um, he is supposed to be this kind of stretch guy, but his shot is eh, like it's fine. Um, it's not really going to be a go-to skill. He's super athletic, um, but I think that his athleticism is mostly in his strength and his leaping ability. He can just, it, it's really weird watching because, you know, you're getting this like somewhat short, like big, thick dude that can just jump up and throw down on dudes. So there's, there's a lot of highlights in that way. Um, but I think like laterally, I don't think he's a great athlete. I, I don't think he's going to be able to guard on the perimeter very well or slide with guys. Um, and his, his combine measurements there were not great. His wingspan is not super great. So I think that limits a little bit defensively as well. Um, I just, I don't know if I totally see what his NBA skill is going to be. He would not be a first round pick for me. I think I have him somewhere around like 40, 45 range on my board, which I I fully expect he'll be gone before that. Um, I I can see him, you know, it makes sense to me why you're bringing him up. I can see him as a a Denver sort of player just because that sort of forward role is is definitely the, the, the biggest need on the team. Um, to me, I think on Denver in particular, if you want to bring up the Tory Craig argument and be like, "Well, why do we need Tybal? We've got Craig already." I think I think that argument totally fits with Pascal because I, I don't know what Pascal is going to do that Craig doesn't do better and bigger. Um, Interesting. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel that. I definitely feel that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, are there any other guys that? we haven't named yet that you think would be great fits for Denver, whether they're trading into the first round or the second round. Uh, doesn't really matter which one. Yeah. So I was looking through the list earlier, just one other guy that I want to mention that I think uh, I'm not totally sure where he'll go. I'm starting to see him just maybe sneak into the first round occasionally. Um, but I, I think he's probably a second round pick, but that guy is Daquan Jeffries. Okay. And uh, I, I think that he can be this like really valuable a uh, role player. I'm trying to pull up my numbers on him to be able to let's see Daquan Jeffries. Yeah, so he's he's a Tulsa player. He's very similar size to what I just said about Pascal, except with a lot less weight. So he is six seven. There's about seven foot wingspan, which I think is identi- identical to Pascal. Um, and he's a really good defender. He's a super smart defender. I think he'll be able to defend two to four in the NBA and um, he's super athletic and I think that he's probably the the better athlete than Pascal even though uh, Pascal looks more athletic at times I think uh, Daquan's athleticism is a little bit more functional Um, he shot 62% on twos this year which is a really strong number especially considering you know playing on a pretty rough team and um, maybe even out of position a little bit and I think he hit about 38% of his threes, um, which is not, he, he did not shoot a lot of them. So we don't know necessarily how uh, proof that, how much proof there is on that number. Um, I don't know for sure that he'll be a definite three point shooter, but he just looks like a very three and D type player. Uh, he's a guy that I kind of came late to in the year because you're not exactly watching a lot of Tulsa during the season. I hear that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's, he is, 
a, a bit older. He's, he's almost 22. He actually transferred from Oral Roberts. Um, but I, I saw someone I was reading called him the anti-Jalen Brown. You know, Jalen Brown, you have this, like, scoring 3 and D wing, but lacking the decisions and the awareness sometimes. And I feel like Daquan is kind of the opposite of that, where he's not going to be your go-to scorer. He's going to be you know, one of the last options on offense, but he'll make smart decisions when he gets it. He can probably shoot. He can definitely finish because of his athleticism. And he's just going to make smart plays. And he's going to, you know, again, feels like a guy that, like, I, I just imagine the Warriors having had Declan Jeffries in the finals and what a difference it would have made to have that guy instead of, with respect, Jonas Terebko and Alfonso <laughs> McKinney and, all these other guys that I was like pulling my hair out that were playing real NBA finals minutes and just taking so much off of the table. And I think Daquan doesn't take much off the table and he's, he's strong and he kind of built like a linebacker. He talks a lot on defense and uh, organizes the team really well. And I think I could see him turning into this really valuable role player if he gets the right opportunity. Cool. That's a, that's a good name to think about. Uh, it's hard to even know whether Denver is going to get involved in this draft just because the uncertainty of not having a pick, it, it kind of colors like what you what you think will actually happen. I do think they will end up with a pick, but not sure whether they're going to want to trade a current player or whether they want to sacrifice future draft assets in order to get into this draft. It's going to be interesting to see whether they actually do or what, what happens there. Heard some rumblings that they might try to get into the first round, but you never know. You never know with this, and and rumblings are not necessarily something that Woj is going to tweet out. So we'll just have to see what happens. Let's move on. Uh, We'll take a quick break, and we will be right back. Actually, that's going to do it for today's episode of Nuggets Numbers. We'll be back tomorrow with part three to discuss the Nuggets in general, some of Brandon's thoughts on the players on the roster, where they go from here, what are some of the things they could do in free agency, and just talk about the NBA at large. So thank you for tuning in today, and we'll see you guys tomorrow.